Welcome to The Experience of You, a podcast on how to own your personal brand and have the mindset to get your goals and live your dreams. People who lead with an authentic and positive personal brand create the ultimate experience for others. And when they do, they get what they want, personally and professionally. It's not about likes and followers. Don't let others dictate your brand. Take control of it and own it. Throughout this podcast, brilliant people will help you learn how. I'm Dave Thompson, and here's this week's guest. Welcome to the Experience Review podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Jamie Dundee on with us today, somebody who I believe has incredible insight into personal branding, particularly for people that we don't normally think of as this being really applicable to, and that's the high school community. He's principal at Gloucester County Institute of Technology, a Philadelphia area-based high school that is very progressive, focused on academies and careers and preparing the 1600 student body enrollment in career tracks like biological sciences, engineering, IT, advanced manufacturing, allied health. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'd like to get in right away to your decision when we had met a couple of years ago to welcome a course and an approach to personal branding for high school kids. So tell me a little bit about your motivation and the high school community that you decided this would be applicable for. Sure. I think one of the one of the issues that we see with high school students and one of our responsibilities is preparation for these students to really get ready to enter into career fields and get ready for employment. Again, we know there's going to be a multitude of steps that they take and pathways to get to the end goal of employment. But one of the pieces that we really felt that we were lacking in or missing was true preparation. Were these students ready for employability skills training that we seem to kind of go away? We focus so much on the the academia piece of our programs here that we really do miss sometimes the piece of preparedness for the next step. So as your term of personal brand, it's, it's essential. How are students, young people, selling themselves? How are they going out there? You're in a climate and culture in which often students don't give themselves the credit or the success of things that they've done in this world and go in unknowing sometimes and, and ill-prepared to get ready for college applications if they have to have a face-to-face interview. They've become so ingrained in the technological gurus that they are is that they miss those soft skills of being able to have face-to-face conversations, communication skills. How will they you know, be prepared to meet the requirements of not only the job front, but can they have conversations with customers, their colleagues, and, and even their direct supervisors? So one of the pieces that we felt was so essential in working collaboratively with you and developing the personal brand is that we really felt that we needed somebody as an expert in that field to come in and, and talk to our students. And things that maybe we would have taken for granted decades ago are missed. Things that were taught in the home no longer exist. And the job of educators now is pretty much so vast and spread thin that sometimes even the educators can't even get to reviewing soft skills and employability skills and and making students successful. So really for us, it was really letting the students know that by taking these steps and and feeling positive about themselves and and how they represent themselves really open a lot of different doors for them. Or by not doing it, it could close a lot of doors. So that's really really what we wanted to hone in. And and one of the big pieces that, that we really wanted the students to understand, especially in preparedness for the next step, is the idea of networking. How do you get yourself out there? And even getting a step in one place could open up a plethora of opportunities across the board. So you're a parent of uh, teenagers and you're 
in the process of trying to mold teenagers as principal here. You talked about the role of the parent in helping kids understand the soft skills and the fact that in two-income or underprivileged families, a lot of that guidance isn't there. You've had to assume that role and the folks. Sure. I also think that my, my beginnings here in the district was as a supported employment job coach for individuals with disabilities. So that's where I started my career as I was going back and getting a master's degree in school psychology. So that's where, to me, it was essential. And what I started seeing is that the preparation that myself and the other job coaches that were hired under a grant was that our special needs population, our individuals with disabilities were were better prepared for job interviews Mm. than some of our traditionally non-disabled, non-special ed students, their peers. And really what we were doing is mock interviews. We were doing preparation of developing a resume. And so a lot of our students, and we would go over as part of that, we would conduct employability skill classes with the students that we were responsible for. And it was, again, how do you dress for the job interview? What do you say? What do you engage in with an employer? What do you reveal to them? Talking about, again, your dependability and and all your assets and the skills that you've got in the vocational courses that they were enrolled in the school. And again, what we were finding is that other career transition coordinators who were out placing, again, other students, their kids were showing up ill-prepared, inappropriately dressed, ill-prepared in regards to a resume. And so really that's where it started ingraining to me is that at some point, like I said, we really have a responsibility in these schools and all school districts is to get these students prepared for the next step. And again, what I was noticing even back in 1996 is that kids were not prepared on how to sit for a basic job interview Mm -hmm. or how to appropriately fill out a job application. There were questions that they couldn't even basic questions that used to, again, take place in the home. And regardless of what that home looked like, even our most successful higher tier individuals, as you would say, in society, those students were equally ill-prepared. So that's really where the trend started for me. And then as my career went on, it's taken different paths, but the end goal is student success to the best of their ability, whatever that is. I've seen you in action and, and really engaging with the school population. And it's really, so you've seen the gamut, kids that are friendly, shy, insecure. What Beside the idea that they may not be prepared for the next level, what do you love about today's student population and what do you continue to see that they need to work on, as you've alluded to, with social skills? I would say that the, the portion I'll start on then maybe the stuff that we continue to work on first and then I like to end it on a positive piece is that <laughs> the piece of that continues is that, as we talked about, is the, the lack of ability to socialize and communicate. I think technology, which has been a uh, foundation, uh, a fundamental tool that we all use, I think that this population of young people, they're very dependent on it, almost to the point of being addicted based on some of the, the journals of psychology. And, and again, kids not being able to, to put their phone away without thinking about it. So the piece that I think we have to continue to work on is the, the people skills, the interactions between the human contact. I think given the the nature of where we are from a health standpoint with COVID, I think it's forced all of us into a more dependability on technology and the lack of face-to-face Zoom and team meetings and things of that nature take on their own identity, but it's still not that human connection. It's become almost robotic. So that's the piece that I think we continue to try to work on. The positive component that I've seen, especially from our population here at GCIT, is that students come in with an idea of what they want to do. I think that they're also, what I see, at least in, in our school district, is that the kids are determined in what they want to do, and they actually have a voice. 
And for many years, I felt that we were, were squashing our, our young people and not giving them an opportunity to have a say in what their education should look like or what, their, what the rules of the school should be. We've developed student leadership teams throughout the past three years. And, and what we do is we have students that come in and, and talk to us as adults in the school. And we say we can't, we can't continue to survive when it's only coming from the top down. So we really need the input of the students. So the one thing I do is what they're committed in telling us what they want, whether it's a change in more diverse courses and what they're, they're learning about, more, more diverse writers. As one student said, I don't want to hear about the old cranky Anglo-Saxon male anymore. I want, I want to hear more of a diverse, whether it's gender, whether it's cultural diversity and their input. We want to see things differently. Like why should only certain groups be looked at in a negative light in history or in the civics area and, and only look at slavery? Why aren't we looking at the accomplishments of various, again, females, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different religions, different choices? And we seem to only highlight certain areas of history. Why aren't we looking at it more globally? So I think the one thing I do is the how strong these students are in speaking their mind. And ultimately, they're going to be the ones that lead this country. So I think having that positive framework a lot of our students come here with that. And I, and I think one of our responsibilities as educators is to really help mold them or direct these students in a positive way is to continue down that path. How do you use your voice for good? How do you stand up for yourself and, and don't get walked all over? You are going to be the future voters. You are going to be the future decision makers, leaders of this country. So what do we want out of those individuals? I, For me, I, I want, whether it's my own you know, two children at home or the close to 1600 that I want to be treated the same way, I want them to have a say, I want them to have a voice, and I want them to feel confident in why they are standing up for themselves. One of the things that I'll applaud you on, and I asked you about this previously, is every day when the buses unload, and you'll stand there and greet nearly every single student. And you're creating not only the personal connection, but you're creating an experience. And this is the experience of you. And I've noticed the experience of you is very involved with the student body. And you do it not only because I think that's who you are, but you also do it to understand who's walking in the door and what issues or problems they may be bringing in. Sure. When I think of a lot of the societal issues that we, we do have, sometimes, I mean, you look at the, you know, the news, the newscast later that evening, and it's always when something negative happens, they say, wow, I really wish we would have listened or picked up on the cues. So one of the things that, that collectively we, that I encourage along with the, our other administrative team is we encourage our staff is that you don't know what type of day the students have had prior to coming in here. So for us, we want a friendly face. We also want to be able to identify if a, if a student is struggling. We don't know, again, whether they're dealing with anxiety, they're dealing with depression, grief. There could be sudden loss in the home. And, and so sometimes it's not only the connectivity of the students knowing that people are here for them, but it's also sometimes we, we may notice something and, and call a student down later and say, I noticed you didn't look yourself. Are you okay? And we want you to get talk to one of our counselors here. And, and maybe it's something that it's just at the, the the beginning phases, or maybe it's somebody dealing with something, and, and we really want to try to offer that that mm. help to them. But I also think that gone are the days of have to be the the, the ones in complete control, and I, I think it's essential for our students to have that rapport, to see the human side of of adults and teachers. And I always laugh at when we when I get to go on the senior trip and they see us, they'll send me a hat, a baseball hat and shorts, and they go, "Gee, I didn't even know you didn't have anything but a shirt and tie." So I think that's important for these students to to have that understanding is that. These adults, have, although there's a, an authoritative role in things and what we have to do, it's also a role of coming out of care and understanding. And I think that's where the psychology background for me and, and my master's in school psych is that that's where that comes into play, is that there has to be a level of, of rapport and understanding. It's something that 
if I'm going to ask students or staff to do it, then whatever I'm preaching, I'm going to do myself. And one of the things we talk about is we all don't have that Thanksgiving dinner together, but we have to work in an area of respect and understanding of people's individual beliefs. And so for me, again, having connectivity and rapport with students, hopefully is a model that they will then take into consideration for themselves is that they'll continue that trend. And what I can tell you is our, our staff are big on volunteerism, community service. We have a huge out of darkness wall for suicide awareness. This has been going on for almost 12 years now. Wow. We bring hundreds to almost thousands on our campus. Unfortunately, we've had to do things a little bit different with COVID, but there was a virtual walk this year. And it brings about awareness of things so that we, our kids stand on platforms, a connection of raising funds and collecting items for Ronald McDonald House. We do a day where we call Love Our Vets, in which our local area veterans, who are most of them are in homes of some sort, are brought in for the day in which we do our cosmetology program, helps to spruce them up and uh, make them feel special and pampered. It's also they, they see a show and, and they get the opportunity then to meet with our history classes and speak about what the war meant to them. Wow. And so we feed them. Again, we reward them by, by pampering them for all their years of service. And it gives them a connection to our youth and what these individuals went through in regards to being soldiers in our country. And, and so those type of activities that happen, again, whether it's our students visiting a nursing home, reading to individuals with disability in one of our local schools with our Bankbridge Regional, it's just the different groups and clubs have this connection that they want to give back. And, and again, I, I say it a thousand times for those that have heard me talk is that one of the things that we always get asked is what's different? What makes GCIT so unique? And right. I would say the piece of our students coming in with a sense of caring. Somehow we've become, we've remained clickless. Our students come in with a general sense of caring for other individuals uh, of all walks of life. And I think that piece is what makes it so unique to, to be a part of this family at GCIT is the giving back and volunteerism. And, and that stuff goes beyond. And I think when students, like you said, the, the, the part for us is when you have that connection to either your school culture or to those in need on the outside, I think that you're hopefully developing a better, more well-rounded individual for society. Absolutely. And, and that's obvious when you work with the kids and interact with them, that you see that they are, they're on point, they're more attentive, they're more interested. And, and it's really credit to the schools and your approach to that. And COVID impact, it's had, and it's had an incredible impact on operations. You've seen it in the student psyche. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think I think it's ultimately what we're what we're seeing in society. But from a high school perspective, it's a lot of unknowns for high schoolers. Sometimes because of of technology, some of those same things that really make our young people older or feel that they're more mature based on the, the advancements that they've made because of technology. And sometimes we forget that their their maturation process and, and development is not always there. Mm. So I think from an, the biggest pieces that we're seeing is the unknown anxiety. There's the anxiety of when are we going to back to a potential quote unquote normal. The students are missing friends, teammates. And again, we have been able to implement sports throughout the school year and other activities, but it's not the same. You're talking about a hybrid model of different cohorts being in the district throughout the, the different days of the school year. We are trying safely to bring back more students on more days so that there is the biggest piece that we're seeing from our students from a psyche standpoint is being disconnected. They use the word disconnected. I feel disconnected on a computer screen that I'm not getting that same level of comfort as if I'm sitting in front of my teacher. And it's nothing. The teachers have been working their tails off in, in trying to be so dynamic in, in, in learning how to do live lessons in regards to synchronous 
and asynchronous learning, mm -hmm. recording themselves to make sure that the students do see them and that they're caught up, whether they're in person or at home doing online learning. Tutoring looks different now. That's online. Meetings look different because they're online. Even parent meetings when it comes to discipline, if that is needed, is all online. So it really, when you talk about the connection piece, we all miss that component of having the students in front of us. So the thing that we get the most or what I've gotten in regards to talking to some of our students and even our staff is this, I feel disconnected from what my normal classroom looks like. And it really is impacting students. We're seeing the negative impacts of multiple students having to be reminded more to, to log on, to get on, to turn things in. And again, it's really the, the piece of even some of our, our most exceptional students are really feeling the weight of COVID and what it has done. And, and I think it's also done the same thing for families. Families have to take an approach sometimes of keeping their students home on remote remote learning because of someone that's living in the home with them and they don't want to uh, endanger those individuals. Maybe it's somebody with a compromised immune system, an elderly family member who's coming even for the holidays. So parents have had to take students out of their zone here and go online learning to, to do the right thing for health reasons for the parents and, and other family members and even themselves at home. So it's been a lot. And we're asking high schoolers to come up with answers to things that even us as adults, we can't come up with. So mm -hmm. I think the the unknown is scary. And a lot of our students, because of having these online chats and Zoom meetings, are really, really suppress a lot of their feelings down. They're not talking about it that as if they were in, in live in person, they probably would have conversations with counselors. So counselors have had to be unique in this. So mm. I think the unknown and, and the scariness and then what they see and hear in, in the words in, in media every day, it can heighten that anxiety pretty quickly just by watching the evening news. And social media contributes to contributes greatly to their misperceptions as well of what's happening out there. I think that's one of our challenges that we, we often say, and, and we do different breakout meetings with our students at the beginning of the year. Unfortunately, we had to do that virtually this year due to, to COVID reasons, so we couldn't be in person in front of them. And normally we go over the different rules and, and regulations, but one of the pieces that, that we also try to remind our students from a perspective is make your own decisions. Don't let social media determine who your friends should be, what your likes should be, even to the point of who your political candidate should be. Make your own recommendation based on how that person treats you, based on research that you've done about that. So again, if it's the world of politics, know what that candidate stands for. Don't just go based on somebody who's popular in the world of social media on TikTok. Don't let their decisions impact the way you feel. Do your own research. Don't make an assumption that, a, that somebody stands for something when in essence, it's just one person who may not have fondness for them is saying something inaccurate or incorrect. So one of the things that, that I do, again, for my own children at home, and, and again, the, the 1600 that I've pseudo adopted here is that ultimately make your own decisions, do your research, come up with your own ideas. Don't be a follower, be a leader in your decision-making. And if you have all your facts, then you can stand by those and, and go from there. Great. Talk a little bit about what personal brand means to you for, as a principal, a father, as well as what it means, how it is going to dynamically affect kids' future starting with yourself? Well, I think personal brand is, again, I, I think how you carry yourself, how you model yourself. I think as adults, we have an obligation, especially in the area of, of education, is to be positive role models for those that are in front of us. Whether we like it or not, it's the job that we've accepted. Sometimes that does impede on things that we can post out on our own social media posts, because we really have to show in good faith that we're, we're understanding and neutral in a lot of different areas. But I think the personal brand for me is really what I've learned is the power of positivity. And that's the biggest piece. And I think that's ingraining in that into our students. 
And I think if you can show that positivity and what it means and, and have those open discussions and dialogues with whether it's students or in your own personal life, I think it makes a difference of, of how you then will be able to respond to others. I think surrounding yourself with positive people or sane-minded people can really go a long way. And we all know how it is of being with the negative Debbie Downers in the world is that it, it can bring you down and then it can impact your belief about a particular culture. Speaking of the school climate and culture is that if you're coming into work every day negative, then that's also going to impede on how you present. That then gets in and bleeds into the mindset of the students. So if this teacher that I look up to or counselor or, or faculty member, administrator, whoever may be is negative, then maybe this isn't a great place. And now I'm starting to develop that negativity. And so negative reinforces negative. And I think the more that you can be positive and show students one of the other pieces that I think is so important is that so many of these students don't know how to independently overcome obstacles. So again, the positive mindset and, and being positive and things is going to say, yes, there's going to be bad days. There's going to be negative things that impact you, but we have to level that and measure that negativity or impact in your life. And, and so a lot of times students will take even the most minor of issues and make them so detrimental to themselves that they bury themselves before they can even get themselves out of it. Maybe it's the, the mindset of everybody gets a trophy and an award that we never learn to, to fail or how to overcome that failure or how to build on every failure. And there's generational gaps here of things that, again, things that how I grew up versus some of the, the, the students now is that we weren't all given a prize. You had to earn it. And second place didn't always mean you were getting a trophy or a jacket. Right. But I think that's essential for growth. So I think, again, is that you also teach students self-survival skills. And I think that's part of a personal brand as well. You have the positivity. And then how do you survive? You're not, you have to get out of the mindset of being a victim. Nobody cares if you're going through stuff. You have to care for yourself first to pull yourself up. Yes, you have to rely on friends. Yes, you rely on the resources you have, if it's counselors or parents or again, colleagues, and no matter what level you are. But the first part is you have to lift yourself out of that. Nobody's coming to rescue you. So you have to take that ownership, your first step. And I think that goes a long way. Again, the positive mindset, the, the survival mindset, and really the other pieces, and I think this is where the positivity piece is, I think it's okay to show, at least as, a, as an adult or youth, that it's okay to make mistakes. But the biggest piece is taking responsibility and ownership for those mistakes. And mm. I think that's the part that, that we've all missed. Sometimes, unfortunately, we get, everybody wants to, to save or, or get somebody out of a situation instead of letting them learn from it. And I think we do cover-ups and get out of more than we do about taking ownership. And that's something, like I said, that is a message that, that, that I share at home. And it, it's a message of how I was raised. I think how my wife was raised. And, it, and it's something that I want the students here. It's okay. And, and the same thing I say to the staff. If I'm wrong in something, I'm going to be the first person to say, I'm sorry. I got to correct it. It's my responsibility to do that. So I think that plays such a crucial role of taking ownership of your actions. How do you teach that here? I think when, when we have students that are going through maybe a situation, I think the first thing we do, and, and, I'll, and I'll use it in a context of discipline, mm -hmm. we talk to a student and say, look, don't push this off on this person or, or anyone else is, what was your role in this? Don't talk about the other people. What role did you play in this? And I think it's also... The progressive discipline that we have with our students is that we also talk to them afterward and say, okay, this is what we realize. So instead of beating somebody down and being punitive, we say, what did you learn from it? What's the next steps? How do we collectively, and it's one of the things we talk about at re-entry meetings when students come off of disciplinary infractions, is we say, how do we collectively help you to never make this mistake again? Wow. And it's one of the things that, that I say to them as I say, look, I feel as a district, we failed you. 
because we apparently we didn't give you the resources or the tools to not make those mistakes. So how do we, how do we not have that again? How do we grow together so that we're not in that same situation? And I think that sure you have some repeat offenders and, and that's part of falling and growing. And, but a lot of kids you never see make that same mistake again. And you laugh about it when they're seniors of something goofy that they may have done their freshman year. But if, if you're truly just punitive from a discipline standpoint or constantly beating somebody down, they'll never grow. They'll never change. And so you would expect to see them freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year making the same goofy mistakes. And I think it's okay if you're working on a project or something here and we talk about what type of reaction do you have? So if, if, if a staff member or a staff member excuse me, makes a mistake, then you know, again, sure, sometimes you, you do have to, there's disciplinary issues that, but at the same time, it's okay. So what tools did we not give you? Or how do we make sure that we don't do this again? And how supportive can we be? Or do we need additional professional development in that area or, or something, whatever it may be? I think, again, we're in a very big throwaway generation where value stickers get lost very quickly on simple mistakes. And I think the throwaway generation is something that we don't support here. So it's, again, I'm not giving up on you. And that's what I always tell them. I'm like, look, I have gray hair and I'm old and I don't want to sit there. I, I don't hold on to this. So the feelings that I had before your infraction even happened are the same feelings I have now. It's over. That piece of your life is over. Let's not go down that road again. And how do we collectively do that? And, and the hope is that what I also offer is that when I see the students, it's I also want you to come up to me and I don't want our experience always to be one that you think that it's always got to be negative. I want it to be hey, I just want to let you know that I'm doing this at home or I'm, I'm going for this job interview. Tell me the positive things because we want to know that it was successful. So I think that's the, the piece of it is that when you come here, whether it's staff or students, there, there's a component of family. And we all know that there's family members we have to help and support throughout their life as a family member. But you wouldn't turn your back on family. So why would you do it to young people in the mindset of a school setting? Absolutely. The whole concept that you just presented about throwaway generation is fascinating to me, but I want to also now pivot a little bit to your graduates. You have a ton of graduates who come back and realize the experience that they had here was extraordinary from others that they're meeting in colleges or in their career. And you invite them back. They speak to the student body. So share a little bit about that. We always encourage our students to come back. And I think that, again, we welcome one student input. Sometimes you want to keep that connection with the student that we may have another student that's interested in a particular college or job or an apprenticeship. And so we say, again, we have this alumni that, that's graduated from here. I want to be in connection and I'll get them in connection, that student, to talk about those things. But we also want the students to come in and say, I really thought that the next step of transition, again, whether it was college, military, the job force, apprenticeship programs, post-secondary ed, all the different steps, like I said, you can take. I want them to come back and, and, and tell the students, look, you might be a big shot here, or I didn't think that it was important to do X while I was in high school, but now I realize how important that was. I do hear more often than not our students coming back and saying, what I can tell you is I like the fact that this teacher wasn't my friend in high school. We were friendly and we had a positive report, but I looked to them more as a mentor and a role model than I did as a best friend. And I often say that to our staff, you're not the cool teacher. Don't talk about what parties you went to or this, that, and the other. Not that those things can't be interjected of what you do in your personal life, but you want to be a role model. You want to stand up and, and show the positivity for these students. And I think that's the biggest piece that, that when students come back, that's what they talk about. Thank you for pushing me. Thank you for believing in me. And that's from all walks of life. That's teachers, it's counselors, it's faculty members, coaches, administrators, advisors. 
And I think that's that goes a long way with the with these students. And the and the other part, like I said, is we want students to come back. I want the student who felt that it was essential for them, whether a family history of themselves who went to a historically black college and university, is what were the steps like? And now being in a situation where you're in one setting and now going to the college setting, what was that process like? What did that mean for you? And once you got there at that school, what did it look like? How were you accepted? You could be the student council president here. And again, big fish in a small pond scenario. And then you go to a university that has 20,000 plus students. And now you're going there trying to recreate an identity. So what did that look like? What did the teachers who tried to show you some independence, self-thought, and responsibility again for your own learning and actions, what did that mean at the college level? Again, here I am at the college level paying top dollar. And we hope that some of the college courses that we implement here through dual credits and working with our collegiate friends next door at at Rowan College of South Jersey, Rowan University, and, and other ones who we have affiliations with, is that we hope that they learn what it means to be an independent learner at college. I always thought that was the biggest buffer. You leave high school where you're you're in such a tight bubble and people tell you what to do. And we've tried to go away from that a little bit because again, the next step is you go to college and say, you need to learn how to do wash on your own. No one's telling you when to eat. There are no bells to tell you when to go to the library to study or when to jump on or, or again, some colleges are so big, they don't even know whether you're going to class or not. It's important, I think, as adults, like you said, is that, that you're honest and open with the students as to what the next level of expectations are. And I think that was also part of the the branding program that you brought to us is that preparing students for the next step of what you can expect walking through the door. And I think that's something our alumni do come back and tell us is that they were more prepared than some of their other roommates, people live in the suites with them or kids they have classes with. Coming out of COVID, we know this is going to, and we're in February now, 2021, we know this is going to pass largely project yourself ahead to fall of this year or spring of next year. Anything that you and the faculty here is thinking about implementing in response to what you've learned students' reaction to this pandemic has been or the difficulties they've had staying focused? I think what we really have to do is we really have to get back to the, as I mentioned earlier, is the soft skills of really quelling a lot of the anxiety. We're going to have some students that are coming back to us in September that have not set foot in this building since last March. Mm. You know, March of 2020 is when they went out. I mean, our upperclassmen and some of them have not been in the building for many different reasons, health reasons, anxiety levels, safety, beliefs in the home, whatever it may be for all justifiable reasons. But it's really going to be for many of these students is a reintroduction back into the wild is coming back in, riding a bus again, coming in and, and leaving your home. So to us, I think we really have to reintroduce students back into the climate. And really, we have to look at the mental health component really more than anything. They've been staying up with their academics, but now it's the psychological aspect of it all and focusing on those. And again, if students aren't ready mentally, then learning is not going to to sink in. So I think it's really those soft skills that, that we talked about is really getting used to having conversations right now, even in lunchrooms right now that we have kids are at individual tables. And I'll see students on their phone talking to somebody who's not next to them and somebody's six to eight feet away from them. They're not communicating with them, but they're talking to somebody (laughs) at home, which is wild because, again, maybe it's one of their best friends who's in a different cohort and they're not there. One of our teachers was having a discussion with me the other day and they said, when we come back more, one of the things I want to do for our students as we bring them back into the system is I want to have technology free days. 
mm. so that, that we're not going to do technology on those days. It's going to be more intergroup, small group conversations. And we're going to throw technology out that day and really focus on working on the skills, which I thought was a great idea and not even thinking about it. And I, and I told them, I said, I really want to see how that that works. They're going to start to implement it with our second semester beginning. And the goal could be that could be professional development and getting ready for next school year. That is it, it's to really limit the number of minutes on technology. We do know that, it, like I said, it's a huge tool, but I think they've become so ingrained in it. All of us have that we've missed the interpersonal piece. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned before, the experience that you create, I think, is extraordinary in a progressive institution that really gets kids ready to jump into the work world and and what you help push down to the counselors and faculty and advisors is really this idea of independence, self-discovery and self-determination. And it's truly unique from what I've seen. Any further thoughts as you would like to talk about the experiences that we all create for others and what we can do to maximize our humanity? I think that's a great piece. I think we have to, one of the pieces I think that we're very blessed here is that we have a faculty that we don't have a high turnover. We have the same faculty members, many, it's not uncommon to have somebody 15 plus years on our faculty. And one of the things that I was taught by our professor in a course, an ed organization leadership course was when you have staff members, they, same thing, they shouldn't be throwaway. They should be viewed as family. And it's your responsibility to make them better. You hire them and it's your job collectively to help mold them in, in what you, the desires of the district are. So I think one of the things that we have that's so essential is that our staff believe in the human contact piece and of looking at those things, all the volunteerism and, and community service piece. And again, I think that now siblings are seeing, younger siblings are, are hearing about these great things and they're choosing to come here because of the, the teaching staff that we have. So mm-hmm. I think the component is that it has to be a, a climate and culture across the board. Is anyone perfect? No, because you talk about there's a human side to it. So there's going to be disagreements and issues and, and failures and successes and positives and negatives and all those things that come, that come along with it. But I, I think that the tone of when students or individuals enter this building, we want them to have a sense of community. We want them to, and, and feel part of it. And I want them to feel that their four years here was, I always say to the students when they come in freshman year of orientation in the summer is leave your imprint. You have four years to leave your unique imprint that you're here. And I think that is such a, a key piece. That's my piece that I, when I get to, in, to get introduced to them, we do a, a big freshman orientation in the summer and we don't talk about the nuts and bolts of the school. We don't talk about the rules. It's a day of icebreakers and getting to know, because again, kids are coming from all different towns in the county and beyond. So we really want to make it a time that they, they get accustomed a little bit to the school, but that's a piece that, that I tell them. I'm not going to go into the nuts and bolts of what dress code looks like. That's for another day. But for today, my piece is leave your imprint. Don't just exist for four years, create for four years and create what you want to be. And I think the other part of what makes us unique is that although some students are determined in different career areas, when students come in, sometimes they get here and they go, this is the last thing I want to do. And, and they change gears, but for significantly less money than if they went out to college or, or any place else. And, and so again, that's what we tell the students, create within your, your program, create within your sports teams and be that individual that you want to be. And, and I think the other portion is that to an extent, and I make the joke about it, is that we are the land of misfit toys in a positive way. And again, I'm Hermie the dentist. And it's good because again, I think kids don't want to be part of the environment that they were in before. And this gives them a fresh start. And a fresh start in which, again, community service and respect are fostered. And that has to be total effort by everybody or it doesn't happen. 
What an incredible perspective, Jamie. I applaud you as an educator, administrator, and person who is helping really mold a new generation to be independent and think for themselves and stand out on their own. Thank you for joining me. I really yeah, appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. I think it's important that, like you said, it's great to share similar views and, and a belief that ultimately we're trying to make tomorrow a little bit better than it was today for all of us. So these are the people that are going to be taking care of us. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the way I look at it. I tell my own kids that. So I, I think it's essential to have that, that mindset. Jamie Dundee, principal at Gloucester County Institute of Technology for 25 years. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for listening to The Experience of You. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others who are currently trying to land a job, transition careers, or are looking to improve their professional brand. To catch all the latest workshops, resources, and insights from the Career Coach Pros community, you can follow us on Instagram at Career Coach Pros and on Twitter at Career Coach Pros. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.